0: There are so many people out there who are doing good research on how we can develop and, and design these really amazing, impactful learning experiences.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to The Block, the Building, Learning, and Organizational Culture podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Kirby. On today's episode, I talk to Dr. Julia Huprich, the Editor-in-Chief of Learning Science Weekly, about how we can avoid fads and trends in L&D and focus on what's really important. Good morning, Julia. How are you? Hi, Heidi. I'm doing well. Thanks. How are you? Good. I'm really excited to have you here today. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here too. Let's jump right in. And I'd like you to tell me about your career journey and how you found yourself in L&D. Oh, my career journey—it has been a journey. Um, so I started—I uh, started
0: my career as a librarian, um, and I—I I did that because I—I uh, I got my bachelor's degree in French. And as you can imagine, there aren't a lot of jobs out there for like a French degreed person, right? Um, and so, uh, so I started working in the library at the college where I had attended, and fell in love with it. And so, as part of uh, as part of that job, uh, I. Uh, I did a lot of training related things. I worked on new employee orientation. I helped to train uh, library assistants. So training was always a part of what I did as, as a librarian. And then I went to a library school and uh, and focused there on like library administration and that kind of thing. And so in my library career, um, as it progressed, one of the things that I also started focusing on was technology. Technology was is a huge passion of mine, and uh, and then training people on how to use technology was then a part of that 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 uh, that role as well. So um, I went and uh, got my PhD in uh, instructional technology, which was a great fit uh, because I again like it, it really infused that uh that like that instructional role that instructional piece with the technology piece and then around the time that i started my phd program i had an opportunity to join uh, a software company and they were looking for someone to come in and help with this project that they were working on Uh, so they wanted to build uh, a platform where people could learn the skills that they needed to be successful at work using curated content and so who better to help curate content than sure. a former librarian, right? Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely something that we did. So, uh, so I joined Intellem. Uh We built a, a platform called CatCat. Cat. Um, and, uh, and then I got more involved in learning science. So, uh, so now I work on uh, an outreach initiative called Learning Science Weekly. I help to translate research in the science of learning, for practitioners and uh, and really started working on that newsletter with kind of with myself in mind, uh, right? So like I had been in training for all of these years but never had any formal education in L&D. And so, one of the things that I, I'm really guilty of, uh, and I'm, I'm really open about this, is I I kind of saw every trend that came along in L and D, and and I just I I kind of accepted it, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, things like micro learning, I was really passionate about things like gamification, um, you know, all of these different trends that came along. And so one of the things that we try to do with Learning Science Weekly is help people professionalize their practice and help bridge that gap between the research that's being conducted and how we can apply that in employee learning and customer education. Um, so I think that's a, a short snippet of, of how I got
1: here. I love it, and there is a companion to Learning Science Weekly, a podcast. Right? Yes, yeah. So we have the Learning Science Weekly podcast.
0: Um, so we started the newsletter about a year ago, and uh, and then started the podcast. Uh, my my colleague Julie uh, loves podcasts, and was like, okay, we really need to start a podcast. There's so many really interesting people out there to talk to. And, uh, and so we did, I think around 13 episodes, um, and then took a break, uh, because Julie, uh, took a leave and she'll be back soon. So the podcast will pick up, but yeah, nice. so definitely check out the podcast as well. And you can find all of that at learningscienceweekly.com.
1: And I'll also post a link in the show notes to both huh? as well, because Thank you. if you are not subscribed to the newsletter or, and, or the podcast, you should be, <laughs> they're very good. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Thanks. So when we chatted about what we would talk about on a podcast Mm -hmm. episode, we talked about L&D fads a little Mm -hmm. bit. And focusing on learning science is something that I think um, a lot of novice people in L&D kind of um, miss. And they kind of, Mm -hmm. like you said, they embrace those trends They see something all over social media, like LinkedIn or something. Microlearning is hot, hot, hot. And, you know, they don't know any better. They don't know any different. So they just go towards it. And um, I always share the story when I talk about my dislike for fads, um, about my mom, who always gets worked into these podcasts somehow, and about how, like, from a very young age, she instilled in me, like, not to pay attention to fads, right? And like, she, I always just tell the story about how she wouldn't let me have a Tamagotchi or a Giga pet. So I had to rely on like my kind friends at school who were more spoiled than I was, who had like two or three and had one to spare and mm. let me borrow. <laughs> and I'd have to sneak it home in my backpack and take care of my little Giga pet because my mom was so anti-fad. And, mm. you know, I was like, I'll never be this way. And then of course, you know, as you grow up and you turn into your parents, um, <laughs> I am now the same way. And so tell me about some of the fads that you see where it's not necessarily that it's wrong or bad, but it just kind of makes you eye roll for some reason.
0: Yeah. You know, the one, like there are a few, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the one that that I was, you know, like I said, I was really guilty of was like, I was really passionate about micro learning. Um, and so I remember giving, a, I, I gave a, a standing room only presentation at the uh, national uh, conference for librarians one time. It was at the American Library Association Conference and there were like 800 people in the room and I was talking about micro learning and it wasn't based on learning science, you know, the, the learning sciences at all. Um, and so in that presentation, you know, I, I relied a lot on, on these, these different fads and these different consultants who would promote this content and they would say, oh, your content should be, your micro learning content should be five to seven minutes long, right? And so there was like this rule of thumb that it should be five to seven minutes long. Well, there's really no science behind that, right? And so if we look at like the science behind what the optimal length or duration of a micro learning content should be, um, it depends on a lot of things, Right? Like, and so these consultants weren't taking into consideration the fact that a learner's interest level, a learner's motivation, a learner's expertise level, um, the complexity of the content, like all of these things should be factored into how long your piece of content should be, right? So, one of the ones, another, another one of the ones that, that kind of irritates me is um, <clears throat> this concept of learning in the flow of work. And this was something that I I had never heard of before, Um, but someone asked me about it recently. And so I Googled learning in the flow of work. First thing that pops up was a 2019 Harvard Business Review article. And in this article, they talk about how learning in the flow of work is a brand new concept, which it's not. But then they, they go on to make some recommendations about learning in the flow of work, which really... Uh, are kind of reflective of, I would say, a not very scientific approach to learning. Mm -hmm. And so learning the flow of work really sounds a lot like informal learning. And in 2019, when this article came out, I was studying the work of Marsick and Watkins, who were two researchers who really defined how we thought about informal learning there's, there's formal learning, which is like what you do K-12, higher ed. There's some people recognize non-formal learning, which is often like what we do, uh, you know, with like work related things in terms of, uh, like if you get like a certificate or something like that. Right. But then there's informal learning. There's talking to other people. There's listening to podcasts. There's Googling, like there's, there's so many different things. And so it's really, it was really frustrating to me to read this article talking about these things that are really informal learning. And it was just, it was one of those, like you said, it was one of those like eye rolling moments. And so for me as a former librarian, um, I really had to put on my librarian hat and I would encourage everyone to do this. So there's something that we do in the library field and it's called, unfortunately, it's called the Crap test. Terrible name, right? So I love cr- it. <laughs> <laughs> but but librarians are all about evaluating resources. Right. And so with the crap test, what we talk about is you want to evaluate resources based on five uh, and there are actually a lot more criteria, but based on really five criteria. So you want to look at the currency of the information. You want to look at the relevance, which is where the R comes in, uh, the authority or the source of the information. So in this case, like we had a consultant writing an article in conjunction with a uh, a person who wanted to sell a product. So are they really authoritative? You know, mm. um, you also look at the accuracy and then the purpose. And again, like the purpose of this article is really, you know, the argument could be made that the purpose was to sell this platform. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So anyway, so when, when people are looking at trends, I I definitely encourage them to look at, uh, to look at that, that piece of information with the crap test in mind.
1: Sure. That's interesting because the first thing that I thought of when you started talking about learning in the flow of work was like, think medieval times apprenticeship, Mm -hmm. right? Like The old guy blacksmith teaching the new young guy how to make swords, right? It's in all these different movies, right? And it's been this concept forever. And now there's just, you know, a new term that makes it seem sexier and new. And, you know, I remember I did a graduate degree in education. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was like, ooh, listen to this trend was called think, pair, share, where mm. you like get partnered up you go through an exercise and then you come back together as a class and you share it out with the class and they were like this man invented this concept of think pair share and I'm like oh my gosh I've been doing partner work which is what you're <laughs> calling this fancy thing so right. that was in first grade you know mm. and so I, I I had that same moment with that where it was like come on. Who are you trying to fool? <laughs>
0: well, and I think about how like in my opinion, a lot of the scientific principles around how we learn best, we've we've been studying how people learn for a really long time. We just have a marketing problem, right? Mm. And so this one guy made up think pair share Because he felt like it, but he based it on a research, or or maybe even not. Like maybe he just came up with it, right? Maybe there was no theoretical or conceptual framework. But he marketed it, right? Like he or or whoever it was, he came up with a name and then said, This is new. And the the number of times that we listen to people who say, Ooh, I made up something brand new and shiny, and here it is. And I just I I really feel like there are people in the background who are doing good work. They're doing good scientific research. They're they're basing their practice on, you know, on evidence informed uh, you know, principles and they're just they're not calling it something new and shiny. It's not they're not marketing it well. And and I really do think that that's a lot of the problem, right? Like we we are so used to looking for the brand new, the shiny, the fad. And so, yeah, I would just encourage people to kind of pause and evaluate.
1: Right. Yeah, for sure. Can you think of another fad? Another one that I think um, is, is, is pretty,
0: I don't know, maybe it's not like a fad anymore, but uh, gamification is, is one that, that I like to talk about. Right. So a lot of people will uh, gamify learning in a way that isn't necessarily um, effective. And and, and what I mean by that is they'll, and I'm guilty of it, I wrote a whole blog post on the mistakes I made in gamification. So one of the mistakes that I made and, and one of the things that I see a lot of other people doing is they'll give people an award or a badge or points or something after they finish a course. Right. So, which, you know, seven years ago sounded like a good idea to me, but now that I, I know what I know about the science of learning, what I, what I realize is that you're just gamifying the completion of that course you're not gamifying, you're not encouraging people to learn. You're not encouraging people to process that information or apply a skill or connect with their peers or engage in informal learning practices, right? Like you are literally encouraging people, which is, I'm actually very guilty of this. You're encouraging people to speed through that course just to get the badge, just to get the intrinsic reward, right? And the number of times that I've completed a course, just because I wanted the points at the end or the sticker or the gold star or whatever, like I am the laziest learner. And I can say that there have been a number of times that I have spent through a course just to get the award and I haven't learned anything. And what are we doing? Like if we're gamifying the completion of a course, what are we doing?
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I can relate to that. I had teachers in high school who used to call it grade grubber grubbers. They'd tell us to stop being grade grubbers. Cause they'd be like, you're just trying to get through this for the grade. Like, or we'd be like, how many points oh, yes. is this worth? Do you, you know, you remember those, uh, overachievers in high school, those nerds? Yeah, that was me. I was how many, oh, was worth? like how many, and you know, the goal was never like Let me learn. It was like, how do I get an A as fast as possible and get the highest score in the class? And like, if you think about like where gamification comes from, like I always think of video games, right? I grew up on Sega Genesis, Nintendo 64, and beyond, right? And if you think about video games, could you imagine if like your favorite video game had no sort of reward until the very end? Mm -hmm. Like I'm thinking of like, you know, Zelda, right? Like an RPG where your rewards are like you get new weapons and you get access to new areas and, you Mm -hmm. you know, like all of these different things throughout the game. Imagine that that doesn't exist. And it's Mm -hmm. just the same world, the same tools, the same 80 hour gameplay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And then at the end, you get a badge. Right. (laughs) Right. no one would buy that game exactly you have no
0: motivation to like play the game your interest would wane. all of those different things yeah it it just it doesn't it doesn't make any sense but i was guilty of it um i definitely launched learning programs where i just gave people badges at the end you know like oh congratulations you completed a course um and so i think that there are Uh, a number of ways that you can use gamification more effectively in your learning program. And I I do go into those in my in my blog posts. So I give some some recommendations there.
1: Awesome. Yeah, we'll share that blog post in the show notes as well. Because I think that would be nice for people to to look at and read. They can learn from my mistakes. (laughs) Yes, that's always good. So what do you think we should get back to? Like, what do you think are some of, and maybe they have something to do, like sort of with the different fads, but like, what do you think the future of L&D should really be looking at when we're trying to decide how our learners should, should experience learning?
0: Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm a little biased, but given my, uh, my research in the science of learning, I would love to see us Really infuse our practice with these evidence-informed principles, right? So, there are there are so many people out there who are, who are doing good research on how we can develop and and design these really amazing, impactful learning experiences, and uh, we see this uh, happening a lot in the field of medicine. Uh, medicine is very evidence informed, right? Like you huh. conduct lots of clinical trials. You you know test to see which medicine is better for one or the other. Um, and so you're actually we're actually seeing a lot of uh, a lot of training for surgeons, for future doctors, for you know people in the medical field. Um, that is uh, that's based on the science of learning. And so I think that we can really take a page from. Uh, from from that from their book, uh, and really focus on some of these best practices, some things that we know work. You know w- these different strategies. Um, one of the one of the books that I started reading pretty early on um, is one from the learning scientists. And um and so they they provide a list of like six learning strategies, things that we know work based on years and years and years of research. And so I would love to see us go back to some of those principles, you know, spaced practice and um and you know, there they're like I said, there are six of them, and of course I'm not gonna remember all six, but but they're they they're I would love to see us go back to that. And instead of following every fad and every trend that comes our way, really look at those critically and then base our practice on what we know works.
1: Yeah. And I think too, something that I always think is important to remember is that as we continue researching, sometimes the answers to what works change. And a lot of times you'll get people who are like, Well, no, this is this is what I was told 15 years ago is the way to do it. So I'm gonna keep doing it this way. Even though we've done more research, we've continued to do research and figured out that, like, yes, that was the best answer we had back then. But we are learning so much about the human brain every single day and Mm -hmm. about neuroscience. And since the L d field started to embrace that research we've learned a lot about what works and what doesn't and we're still learning and yeah. that is something to me that is like so important as a learning professional to <laughs> yes. realize but a lot of people just want to like you know keep doing this is the way we've always done it right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and one example of that is uh, learning styles,
0: right? So, like back when I was growing up, you know, people were like, "Oh, are you a kinesthetic learner? Are you an auditory learner? You know, are you a visual learner?" And I've been guilty of, you know, basing my my learning program and designing a learning program uh, for different types of learners and giving yeah. people worksheets, like, "Oh, let, let's do have like a quiz. What kind of learner are you?" But what mm-hmm. we know now. Is that that's not based in in reality? Like, that's not right. It's Mm -hmm. not a good way of designing your learning program. Are people, you know, is there neurodiversity? Are there different ways that people can process information? Yes, like you just said, like based on neuroscience and research in that field, we know more about how the brain processes information. And so we can move away from that conversation on learning styles. But a lot of people do. They cling to that. Right. Yes. They, they oh, just yeah. it's something that they 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 were they grew up with. They were taught in school mm-hmm. and all of those things. And so yeah, I think it's important to um yeah, to again, you know, evaluate these resources and evaluate this information, but then also have that willingness to change your own practice based on, based on new information.
1: Yes, for sure. And I can say that as recent as 2014, when I was in my education graduate degree, that they were still teaching learning Mm -hmm. styles as a valid thing. So, you know, to give teachers some, some, uh, you know, to not blame it all on the teachers, right? Because oh, they right, are being yeah. taught this. And right. one of my other big things is like, when we very abrasively are like, learning styles aren't a thing and you're a moron if you if you think they are, you <laughs> yeah, know, not, and it, it's not nice. it's not gentle and it's not okay. like, it's not using that as a teachable moment and saying like, here are all of the reasons why. Like, so there's that YouTube video that just came out from, I think it's pronounced Veritasium about learning styles that has like blown up and is super popular. And I think it's because of the way he approaches it. He's not like, you're an idiot. If you believe in learning styles, he's like, here is where this comes from, why people Mm -hmm. think it's true. And here's why it's not true. And I mean, but you still get people who are arguing and like, but no, I'm a visual learner, (laughs) you know, and (laughs) I prefer to learn visually and it's like wait hold on a second you just said the magic word prefer prefer because, exactly. you know we do all have preferences and we do all have and you know my other favorite one is like the um we have the attention span of a goldfish one right i love that oh. myth because mm-hmm. um i think my favorite retort to that was like if we all had the attention of a goldfish the lord of the rings trilogy movies would not have existed <laughs> right those movies were so long oh my gosh they were so long and you're like I just have to hold it a little bit longer but I really have to go to the bathroom right (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to miss something important
0: (laughs) yeah yeah for sure but so for that I like to go to like I like to rely on uh the diffusions of innovation theory right that like so it's Roger's Um, and Rogers talks about how like there are people who, and this goes for like technology acceptance and like a lot of, you know, a lot of different things, but, but Rogers in his theory talks about how different, different people have different characteristics that makes them more or less open to these new ideas, new concepts, new technologies. Um, and some people do have these, you know, these biases that, Really, kind of m- encourage them to to cling to these beliefs that they've had for a long time. Um, and you're right; teachers are still being taught about learning styles. So I'm teaching a, a course right now at Georgia State. Um, I'm an adjunct professor, and uh, and and in one of the discussion posts, uh, you know, several of the 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 students had had commented on like their favorite learning style, like th- their preferred way of learning, and um, and it was it was a, it was a teaching moment, right? These are future teachers who who were in this class, and it definitely was an opportunity for us to kind of just sit down and talk about like how maybe we can think about things a little bit differently and base our practice on on science.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have one final question for you, and that is. If you had to choose one piece of media, it can be a book, a blog, a podcast, a video, a TV series, whatever, that you would suggest people go to to learn more and talk more about the future of L&D, what would it be and why?
0: Okay, so there are so many resources out there, um, but I, again I'm a little biased, so I'm gonna pick Learning Science Weekly. And and that's because we do on a weekly basis come out with these different pieces of content, whether it's a newsletter or a podcast or you know, whatever where people can learn about some of the current research, some of the things that are happening in the l field. And we provide summaries of the articles, uh, these different research articles, and then also some key takeaways that can inform your practice. And so we're, you know, we're refining our approach with that and also looking at new ways of helping our audience. So being a former librarian, like I would love to do a book club, or, you know, like some kind of like topic discussion. Um, I would love to have some courses for people uh, so that they can learn more about how they can infuse the science of learning into their practice. Right now, we have the newsletter. We'll have the podcast kicking back up in a few weeks. Um, but but you know we're we're always looking for new ways that we can help people bring science into their their L and D practice. So certainly open to any suggestions that people have. And uh, but yeah, that's the one. Um, I try to include some of my favorite books in the newsletter um, you know, obviously some of my favorite articles and things like that. So that is one good place to go for like a lot of those different recommendations.
1: I thought you might say that, but also this is not the most important fact, but it is a important part of the newsletter is the pet part.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> every week we feature uh, a pet, right? And, uh, I know my boss at one point was like Julia why is there a dog in this newsletter? I I was like, hold on. (laughs) Well, so the genesis of that, the way that it all happened was uh, I had sent out like a couple of issues of the newsletter and someone responded and they were like, oh, I really love the newsletter. And they attached a picture of their dog, I think. And in my head, I'm like, why is this person sending me a picture of their dog, right? Like this is, it was super random. So I was like, um, thanks. And so I I guess I just like put it in the newsletter like on a whim because I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Why did you send this to me? And then I I don't think I did it the next week. Um, and then someone was like, Where's the dog picture? Why is there not a dog? Here's a picture of my dog. Here's a picture of my cat. And people started sending them to me. And so I was like, okay, like, I guess we'll put them in every week. And then one week I skipped it, kind of like in the middle of, you know, I had already sent it out for like months and months and months. And then one week I didn't have any pets. So I skipped it. I got seven emails that week. People were like, where's the pet? I'm like, oh my God, you have
1: to send me pictures. <laughs> a picture. That's something.
0: I look forward to it every week. It makes me happy, so that's why I kept doing it. And everyone loves to, you know, everyone loves their pets, right? Like, yeah, so much love for our pets, and so it's just a cute way to kind of end the newsletter every week. So it is. It's like
1: here's all these really heavy topics to think about, and then here's a pet though. Like, so don't worry, you can go reflect on all these, and here's a cute pet.
0: (laughs) <laughs> well, and there is some, you know, there is some science to kind of back it up. So, um, and I include some links to some articles about how like looking at, you know, cute pets can actually improve the learning process. Um, and I actually got that from, uh, from a consultant I worked with at one point who, uh, she always used like nature pictures in her presentations. And I asked her, oh. day, I was like, why are you doing this? And she was like, well, because looking at pictures of nature, like, you know, increases, um, I don't remember if it was like oxytocin or serotonin or, but it was a chemical in your brain mm-hmm. and it actually kind of helped your brain like learn better. So I couldn't find the the article that talked about that specifically, but um, I did find one that talked about pets. So it's linked in the newsletter every week.
1: Yeah. Perfect. So we'll put a link to that newsletter and the podcast, of course, thank in the you. show notes, but thank you so much, Julia, for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was so good talking to you. Thanks again for joining me on the blog. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and review us on your favorite podcast platform. I hope you'll tune in again soon.